Thanks for listening to Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. During your military to civilian career transition, it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the changes coming your way. At Orion, we highly recommend reading professional books to help guide you and make you feel more prepared for what's ahead. In today's episode, I'm joined by William Toady, author of the book From CEO to CEO, a practical guide for transitioning from military to industry leadership. William is a retired Navy captain and former commanding officer of the nuclear submarine USS Indianapolis. Since retiring from the Navy, he has learned many lessons about how to achieve career success after the military, and he's eager to share them in this podcast. From CEO to CEO is currently available for pre-order at williamtody.com book or any major retailer. If you have any questions about this interview or topics for future podcasts, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Megan. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. I only know a little bit about your background based on what I've seen on your LinkedIn profile. And I was thinking to myself that you might be the most impressive guest I've ever had on the podcast. So, Well, I doubt that. Before we get into all that, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and your military career just to set the stage before we talk about the book? Okay, sure. Yeah, I joined the Navy in 1974 with the idea of becoming an astronaut. It was um, the only way to get into the astronaut program back in those days. I was 17, ended up at the Naval Academy with the intention of becoming a pilot. While at the Naval Academy, my eyes went bad, pilot option exploded. I wasn't gonna become an astronaut or so it seemed. And so I ended up going to submarines and um, went to, did an interview with Admiral Rickover, one of those famous interviews that people talk about, got accepted into the program and then went to my first submarine. While I was in submarines, actually, this thing called Astronaut Mission Specialist opened up for the space shuttle. And so I said, holy cow, maybe it'll still happen. And so I applied, was nominated for astronaut and then didn't make it through the pipeline. I'll just say it that way. I got washed out in in my in medical evaluation. So my dream exploded twice, but ended up doing a full career in submarines, um, commanding officer of USS Indianapolis, Commodore of Submarine Squadron 3, had a wonderful Navy career, and then transitioned to industry in 2006 after 26 years on active duty. Well, that is quite the impressive military background. I will say that I've never talked to an aspiring astronaut on the podcast, so that <laughs> definitely sets you apart. But that's really awesome. So 26 years, that's a long time in service. When you decided mm-hmm. to get out, what was your transition like and what were some of the challenges that you faced? Well, you know, like pretty much everybody else that decides to get out, I was really eager to try to learn how this next phase of my life was going to go and learn from people who were put in positions to teach us how to prepare for industry. And so um, I waited with bated breath. I took every course the Navy offered to me to learn uh, what the transition would be like and and basically believed everything I was told, which as I learned over time, was a bit of a mistake. And over the course of years, as every one of these lessons that I had been taught while I was transitioning kind of exploded, and um, I started packing away, you know, bits of information. Um, okay, lesson learned here, lesson learned here. 
and started filing these away, not knowing what I would do with them, but using them to give advice to other military folks who are transitioning. My objective when I transitioned was to transition young enough that I could have a viable second career. And you say that, heck, I was already a Navy captain, Army colonel equivalent, right? When I transitioned, you said, what? You are old. But really, you know, if you've got 15 or 20 years in your second career, that's enough to have a viable second career. So I looked at it not as a job, but as a career. And I tried to figure out what I could do to set myself up for not the first job out of industry, but where I wanted to be 15, 20 years down the line. And I think that was, it was not taught to me in transition class. It was something that I kind of figured out on my own. And I would say that's the only thing I didn't screw up. <laughs> Everything else I screwed up and made every mistake you could possibly make. And, um, and ended up towards the end of my career, I was chief executive officer of Spartan Corporation saying, you know, now that I've collected all these lessons, what I ought to do something with them so other people don't have to suffer the same fate and learn the same lessons the hard way like I did. And that's what ended, resulted in me writing the book. So you said that one of the mistakes that you made was believing everything everyone told you. Like, what were some of those things? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm happy to share any one of these insights with you. The first thing that I really screwed up was um, folks in my transition course said, hey, those civilians, they don't understand military positions. So you need to civilianize your military resume. So instead of saying commanding officer of USS Indianapolis, you say chief executive officer of a nuclear submarine. So, I mean, that's kind of a silly example, mm -hmm. but it resulted in a near explosion. So in, I would say that it resulted in a giggle factor um, among the civilians who were reading my resume. Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the guy who was telling us not to do these things was basic, basing that recommendation on the presumption that civilians wouldn't know what a commanding officer was. In other words, the person reading my resume lived in a cave. Right, because every eight, everyone who's over the age of eight has seen enough military movies to know there's a difference between a commanding officer and a chief executive officer. And this was really brought home to me a few years later. I was in industry and I was asked to take part in an interview of a military candidate. And the, the executive leading the interview asked me to come in because in his words, he wanted me to be the um, the BS meter, right? In other <laughs> words, tell him when the guy's lying to us, right? When he's blowing smoke at us. Because it wasn't that he didn't know what a commanding officer was. It was that, you know, this guy had been working in the defense industry for 20 years. He was so good around us. He could have pretended to be a veteran when he wasn't, right? But he, he knew the language, um, but he didn't know what he didn't know. And so he had me in the room and, and, I, and I'm reading the resume for the first time, sitting alongside him. And here it is again. And this is maybe three or four years after I transitioned industry. And I see chief executive officer of an infantry battalion. 
And I said, oh, this guy must have had the same dude that I had <laughs> when I transitioned telling, you know, the same lies. Um, and, and, the, and the executive who was leading the interview says to him, oh, so you're the chief executive officer of your battalion, huh? Hmm. So you make investment decisions for your battalion, do you? Well, no, no, I don't do that. Oh, okay. Well, you make the hiring decisions for your battalion then. Well, no, I kind of don't do that. Oh, so you outline the strategic path and purpose for your battalion. Well, no, I don't do that any either, right? And, oh, so you're not the chief executive officer of the infantry battalion. So either you don't know what a chief executive officer is, or you know what it is in your line, which is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he says, I'll tell you what, why don't you go away? I'll give you an hour. You rewrite your resume and you come back and we'll have another conversation. And sadly, the guy didn't come back. He went away. <laughs> I guess he decided this was already enough of a train wreck. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, after the guy walked out to go rewrite his resume, which he never did, to, to my knowledge, you know, the executive turns to me and says, what is this? You know, why would why do these people do this? You know, have they not studied about what these positions in industry really mean? Do they just not prepare? And I said, dude, I got to tell you, I, I made the same mistake when I wrote my resume. It's what they're trained to do. Mm -hmm. it's what, what I was taught to do. And obviously what he was taught to do. He says, oh, so they're taught to lie. And 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 they're not smart enough know, to know that even if somebody tells you to lie, you still shouldn't do it. Okay, so that was huge epiphany, right, for me. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe I was an anomaly, and I learned I wasn't. There's was a lot of people being told to make the same mistake. Next big think, one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think as a transitioning service member, and I'm sure you can attest to this, that kind of to your point about this guy, you don't know what you don't know. And so maybe you know they're being taught oh civilians they don't know how to read your resume so you better do this so they think right okay just like you yeah. said you believed everything you were told and it's just one of those things where if it is your first job out of the military then yeah you're going to believe what someone tells you if you think that they know more about it than you do mm -hmm. yeah and, and and to defend the guy teaching the class we call the transition assistance program or tap in, in mm -hmm. my day um these folks haven't done it themselves. I mean, they didn't rise to senior executive right. of defense of, of industry companies, right? They weren't CEOs. They're basically reading off of a script. They're, they're saying what they're told to say. But then who wrote the script, right? Who is the idiot that wrote the script? And, and so they should know better. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the other thing I, I, call, I call the great lie was that folks told me that all your industry company will want from you is good leadership. You know, you've, you've demonstrated good leadership from your days as a junior officer in the military. You've got, you've got what they want. And, you know, again, when you, you're sitting there in this class, you want to believe that. You want to believe, hey, he's right. I have what they want. Um, this is... I'm bound for success. And, and I, you know, over the years, I use the example that, so in the military, you know, leadership is important. So let me take a, a guy who commanded an Air Force fighter wing. 
He's got, he's going to be a great leader, right? He or she, she's going to be a great leader. Let me put her on a submarine and say, okay, now you're the captain of the submarine. Go win this battle. Could she do it? No, of course not. Oh, wait. So it takes more than just leadership. Even in the military, you actually have to know how to fly your plane or drive your submarine. Leadership is important, but it's not all they want. And the same is true in in civilian life. Leadership is important, but it's not, not by a long shot. Is it all they want from you? They want you to know something about the business you want to lead. And so, you know, that's the other yeah, so people come to me and say, hey, look, I've, I've been a leader in this level and this level and this level. I'm good to go, right? Ah, you've been told the great lie. No, you need to enter industry assuming you know nothing about what it's going to take to succeed. And you need to be a sponge. You know, I tell even seen, I tell admirals, you need to pre- pretend you're an ensign all over again, or generals. You need to pretend you're a second lieutenant. The day you show up, you know nothing about this business. Learn, right? Be humble, absorb, and learn. Now, the good news is you'll be able to accelerate way faster because of your background than people who are also just starting in that company. So you'll be able to get up to speed in, in in very you know rapid time, but only if you, you have the right attitude going in, mm-hmm. and that's the and that's what I really try to preach to people. Do you think that that ideology is still met with a little bit of resistance? Because I imagine myself or somebody like you, because um, I did not have a military background, but somebody like you who has this great military career and you've accomplished so much, and then you come out, you don't want to not necessarily start at the bottom, but you don't want to go in assuming that you don't know anything because you feel like, well, they should respect what I do know and what I've done. So do you feel like what you said is met with resistance or do you think that people generally understand that and are more excited about having the ability to maybe progress faster than their civilian peers? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so folks need to leverage their military experience in the civilian careers. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I don't say forget everything you knew. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that, then you're no better than the 24-year-old coming out of college, right? right? The, the, the difference is take, use that as background. You know, I, I once was brought in to lead an anti-submarine warfare business in industry. And I have 20 years plus of anti-submarine warfare Navy operational experience. Mm-hmm. Did I leverage that experience when I went into that business you bet I did, right? I know, wait, this one's going to pay off. This one we ought to abandon, right, as a, as a company. That's not going to lead anywhere useful. But this is going to go somewhere. That helps you inform strategic direction. But it doesn't do anything to get the product engineered, developed, and delivered, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't do anything to make sure the company is making money. It is all about profit and loss after all in industry, right? Because profit is the engine that drives the, the defense industry or all of industry. And without that profit, you go out of business and you can't help the, the military, right? So 
you need to learn those skills that there's you're not going to learn on, on active duty. And I and I've often said that even if you in defense acquisition in uniform, you have no idea how the company operates. You have no idea how things run in the on the other side of the fence, you know, in the civilian uniform. You may think you do. And if you do think you do, that's dangerous because you don't. I guarantee you don't. And in fact, I would say as many acquisition folks who are in, in uniform on the acquisition side fail in industry as folks who are not in the acquisition world in uniform when they come out. And in fact, the guys and gals that are not in the acquisition world in uniform, when they transition to industry, generally don't assume they know more than they really do. Yeah, that's a good point. So I know you have this great extensive military background, but you also had a very successful post-military career that has helped you kind of cultivate the knowledge that you're going to share in your book. So can you give us just a quick overview of kind of your career progression after the military? Sure. I was hired into a defense company in a business area I didn't know anything about. It was um, in the in the day, we still had two wars going on in 2006, and UAVs, Predator, and those kind of you know unmanned aerial vehicles were all the rage. And so I was hired into a sensor company that provided sensors for UAVs. And I'd been enough you know, of a big Navy guy to understand how, and a joint guy, to understand how these UAVs were being used. So I can contribute a little bit operationally to the mission of the company. But you know, I spent three years in that company like I said, after I realized I had, I'm starting all over again, I've got to get the right attitude here. I, I spent three years in the company just absorbing everything I did. One of the wonderful things about being in industry, as opposed to being in the military, in the military, you get promoted when it's your turn. You have a, you're assigned a lineal number. When you're senior enough, you get a look for the next rank and you get promoted or not, you know, based on how, how successful you are. In industry, it doesn't work that way. In industry, you get promoted when they have an opening and when they think you're the right person for the opening. And you could, in my case, I was only in industry three years when I was promoted to a major defense company vice president. You know, that doesn't happen in the military. And it's kind of scary when you get thrown into this job. It would be like going from a department head to Commodore. In, mm-hmm. in, um, in the Navy, right? It's like, wait a minute, am I ready for this? Mm-hmm. Well, they think you're ready for it, so you better take charge. And I joke, you know, you could be, a 34-year-old could be your boss tomorrow. So mm-hmm. make sure you, you you don't burn any bridges with those 30-somethings, right? And so um, <laughs> that's a big difference. It doesn't happen in industry. I was lucky enough that it happened to me. And so I got promoted um, very quickly and put in charge of over a billion dollar business with thousands, 6,000 or so employees. And and then from that, basically that job parlayed into another one that parlayed into a business unit president job that, you know, after a few years, then I got, you know, um, I got the call saying, hey, look, would you consider um, a position as CEO? And so, again, all of these things kind of fell into my lap. I didn't go seeking them. 
it was once once you kind of get a name out there um, among the headhunters, you get mm -hmm. on the ro Rolodex. The old old fashioned word is Rolodex. Um, mm -hmm. you, you become one of those people that they call when they have an opening. Then then all kind of opportunities come your way. But the secret to that is really to hit it out of the park at every level. Um, learn from every job. They'll come in any job thinking, well, I did well in that last one. Therefore, I'm going to do well in this one. It never works that way. Uh, and if you think it does, you're going to fail. So um, it's been very fortunate. I spent three years as CEO of Spartan and just recently retired out of that job. I like hearing you talk about your career progression because you do have a very impressive background. I mean, you were president, CEO, and you talked about people being humble before. So you definitely practice what you preach because I can tell that the way you talk about it, like you said, you were lucky to progress that quickly in your career. And I don't I think a lot of people wouldn't see that as luck. They would say like, oh, well, I did A, B and C. Of course, they would have promoted me that soon. But I think it's cool to hear you talk about it because I can tell that you have that humility that you say the mm -hmm. others have to. Well, I, I hope I do. You know, let me say two things. I talk about in the book what age is the optimum age. And, and really, age is a tough thing to talk about because mm -hmm. companies are legally not allowed to talk about age, right? But what age is the optimum age to transition to industry if you want a very good industry career? And, you know, I would say that there are plus and minuses to transitioning at different ages. I decided for myself, I was enjoying what I was doing in the military, but I got to a point where I said, look, if I don't move now in my mid forties, um, I'm going to be too old. And I, and I hate putting it into those terms, but that's the way it was, right? I'm going to be too old to have a viable second career. People look at me though. They may hire me, but they aren't hiring me for future potential. They're hiring me for what they can do with me now. And I didn't want that. And so I have some young military folks who say, look, should I leave when I'm in my 20s, right? At the end of my first tour, in essence. And I say, it depends, right? Do you think you have a future in the military? Do you have upward mobility? The military is an up or out culture. Industry is not. Right. So be honest with yourself about your future in the military. Are you enjoying what you do? If you think you have a future and you're enjoying what you do, I encourage military folks to stay in. I think the military is a calling. I do not regret one day I served on active duty. You know, I, so I say that now. Having said that, if, if it's not for you, if the military is not for you, and a lot of people feel that way, and you think you do need to move, the longer you have an industry, the more time you have to get promoted, mm -hmm. you know, improves your chances of success in industry. So yeah, all things being equal, if you transition at a younger age, you may do better. There are a bunch of Fortune 500 CEOs who did one tour in the military, got out and rose. There are millions of people in industry who did one tour in the military, got out, went into a company, and 30 years later, they're doing the same thing they did when they first transitioned, right? Mm -hmm. So getting out young is not a guarantee that you're going to do, you're going to go farther in industry, right? right. So again, it's, it's a big trade-off.
Um, and you have to be honest with yourself. In my case, I think being more senior when I got out helped me. Mm -hmm. But I could say that it may have closed doors as well, and it might have worked out very differently. Yeah, definitely. I also really wanted to say that I love the title of your book, From CEO to CEO. It's perfect for you, like based on what mm -hmm. you said, and like it just I think is a great um, attention-grabbing title. So I really like that. So I do want to talk a little bit more about the book now. Sure. I know that your experience and all of the lessons that you said that you had learned along the way, um, kind of you were tucking those away for later. So mm -hmm. was there ever kind of like an aha moment that you decided that you were going to write the book? Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember the exact moment. It was, you know, I told you that when I wrote my resume, I said, you know, chief executive officer of a nuclear submarine. Mm -hmm. Then a guy came in with the resume when I was young in industry, young. I was a you know, relatively new industry guy. And there's a resume that says chief executive officer of a, of a infantry battalion. And that didn't go well for him. I'm CEO and somebody sends me a resume saying, hey, you really ought to consider hiring this guy. And I read the resume and he's the chief executive officer of a Spruance class destroyer. And I said, ah! after 15 years, people are making the same stupid mistakes. I got to do something about this, right? Haven't they learned? So it, that's a silly issue, the resume issue. But by this time, I had accrued dozens of these things that I saw people failing at. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I had kind of packed them away. I hadn't written this down yet. I decided, okay, now it's time to start, mm -hmm. start writing down. So, you know, an example, when I was new in this industry, one of my first assignments I was given was to fire a retired Air Force one-star general who worked for a company, okay? So here I am, I left active duty maybe six months earlier as an 06, as a Navy captain, and I'm being asked to fire an Air Force One star. And of course, you know, I'm saying, okay, well, why are they asking me to do this? <laughs> Part of it was a test. But but the um, reason they gave me was that he was a, quote, command and control leader. And and I could, didn't understand that, right? What do you mean? Command and control is a good thing. In the, in the military, we, we execute command and control forces. And I didn't realize this, but in the in the civilian human resources HR world, they've adopted this military expression of command and control, and they've kind of hijacked it to mean something completely different. And what they mean when they say command and control is somebody who barks out orders, they command mm -hmm. civilians. And um, this doesn't work in the civilian world, right? And so if you're described as a command and control leader, in industry, that's a bad thing. It means you're still acting as if you were on active duty. And that's what this general was doing. He was still behaving like he was the general. And so it was my job to let him go. Now, um, you know, so I share with my friends who are transitioning, look, leadership is hard, but it's harder when you're leading people who can actually quit, mm -hmm. okay? 
up to this point, you haven't been leading people who can actually quit. When I was captain of the submarine, people had to do what I said. And if they didn't agree, they couldn't say, Captain, I quit and walk off the submarine. It didn't work, work that way. Mm-hmm. When you're in industry, they can. And when people start quitting, right, they start abandoning ship. That's a reflection on you. And you're not going to last long. So that's one of the lessons, right, I wrote in the book. Um, you know, but there's there's a whole bunch of others is how to interview, how to to um, approach negotiations for compensation, things like that. Where I see people that make the mistake of thinking they're worth more than they really are, and um, and that causes things to fall apart. And then in six mm-hmm. months with that, six months later, they're still wondering why they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. And so, in the subtitle of my book, you're right. The book is called "From CEO to CEO." The subtitle, though, is a practical guide for transitioning from industry, from military to industry leadership. Mm-hmm. The subtitle is as important as the title because it is a practical guide. There's a lot of books out there that pretend to be books for transitioning military leaders. Mm-hmm. And when you read them, it's hand-waving nonsense. Have a vision. Communicate with your people. What the heck does any of that mean? How does that help me get a job, mm-hmm. you know, get paid the most I'm worth, right? Keep my job, learn how to, I talk about important, what the important aspects of profit and loss, mm-hmm. how you're going to be measured. I talk about 10 different career fields that you could be hired into, program, program, business development, operations, human relations, human uh, resources. To different career fields because people coming out of the military, they may not know what, you know, somebody in, in industry does based on title. Um, so I talk about the various, you know, leaders in industry and what their jobs are and what the difference is between a president and a CEO. So everything basically you need to know to begin that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought what you said about leadership and Basically, it's the first time in your life that you're going to be leading people who can quit. I've never thought about it that way. And I'm sure that a lot of service members do not think about that way. In your own life, in your own career path, was that something that was kind of a shocking realization to you? And did you find yourself having to lead people differently? Or did do you feel like it came naturally to you? No, absolutely. And in fact, I talk about that in the book. Um, the different leadership styles and the ones that work and the ones that absolutely don't work. Mm-hmm. And there actually is, there may be, you hope there isn't, but there might be a time in your industry career where you have to draw on those very directive leadership techniques. So I tell people, don't forget how to lead that way. Mm-hmm. But it's only in crisis when you're going you're gonna to need to leverage those skills in a crisis where things have to get done now. Right. And in my... And I've had, sadly, I've had a couple of crises in my industry career as well. And I talk about those and how those very, those directive leadership skills can be helpful. But 99% of the time, those directive leadership skills are going to be counterproductive. And I've had to, over the course of my career, counsel people I've hired out of the military who failed to learn that lesson and, um, and I've had to warn them, look, you're going to have to fix this. Your people are quitting. If you don't fix this, 
the way I fix it is by letting you go. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's going to come down to if you don't change your methods. Most people get it, but some people just so much a part of them. They've got it. They're wired that way after particularly. And I don't want to pick out any one service of military services, but some services are more prone to behave mm-hmm. that way than others. And um, you yeah, so you got to be careful. Yeah. Have that, have that talk early with leaders who are transitioning out of those services and um, and have that talk with them very early so they you could see whether they're going to adapt well or not. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the contents and things that are included in your book, but what about some key takeaways? Are there anything that kind of sticks out to you that you would want someone who reads your book to come away with as being like some of the most valuable lessons that they picked from it? I would say, again, the the most valuable lesson is to start your job under the impression that you don't know anything that you need to know to succeed. You'll learn quickly. But if you come in, you know, like with a bit of a chip on your shoulder, and I use the example, I was a submariner, and I and I went into a, a submarine business as the leader once, and I could have gone in saying, I know more about submarines than you got. I've forgotten more about submarines <laughs> than you people will ever know, right? If I would have come in with that attitude, and I was the president of the company at that point, right? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I would have lost my employee base and you know they would have abandoned me, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You absolutely can't do that. Um, the second thing I would say is adapt to the culture of the company. Be very sensitive and learn what the culture is. Every company's got a different culture. And in some companies, different divisions within the company have different cultures. You need to understand it and quickly adapt to it. Dress like they dress, behave like, and I don't want to say behave like behave. They, I don't want to make it so too rote, but you know, mm-hmm. um, in some companies I've worked at, giving back to the community was really, really important. Um, expected of executives and other companies, they, you know, they had other things that they, they yeah. focused on. Um, but, you know, that's the second thing that's, it's very important. Um, there's, there's just a third thing I would say is again, look to your people and listen to them and learn from them, right? You're, you may for the first time in your life, be going through what's called a 360 degree uh, performance appraisal process where your employees will have the opportunity to appraise your performance. Okay. You shouldn't be hearing what they think of you for the first time when it's formal appraisal time, right? You should know what they think of you long before they have an opportunity to write it down. Mm -hmm. Um, because by the time they write it down, you may not like what you're hearing, right? <laughs> and, and your boss is going to be reading it at the same time you're reading it. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's it. The, the next thing I would say is be careful about appearing too ambitious. Um, it's okay to want to be promoted and all of that um, because people, particularly folks that transition at a more senior rank, are sensitive to the need to get to their peak earning years. Mm-hmm. 
before they're too old. You know, they still have some peak earning years left in them. But be careful about appearing too ambitious, right? You've got to, you know, you've got to do the right thing for the right reasons. One of the things I talk about in the book is that folks in the military never have problems understanding their mission, right? This military service is sufficiently self-actualizing um, that they never wonder about what their mission is. When it, some people transition to industry, some of them struggle with the mission, right? Why am I here? Is this important? Why am I doing this? Um, this I'm not mission-minded anymore. It's just about the paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's a mistake, right? That will get you in trouble from from a um, ideological standpoint, from a motivational, self-motivational standpoint. If they're in defense industry, it's a little easier to find the mission because they know they're still supporting the troops. If they go to civilian industry, and I worked at in a civilian company for five years, Hewlett Packard, mm-hmm. loved it. By the way, loved it. Um, it's um, it's different. And, you know, but again, it's, you, you got to find the mission and understand that there is a mission there. It may not be take that hill mm-hmm. or, you know, defend the nation so people could sleep soundly at night. Right. But it's still important. And, and it's really important to find the mission in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I know you obviously have your own experience to base your book off of and all the little lessons that you talked about that you learned over time. Did you do any other research, whether it be talking to other veterans or um, really any research to help you kind of round out the book and add other perspectives to it? And was there anything that you learned during that that surprised you? Yes. Yeah, so I did, you know, pull from a lot of different people, not just my own experience. I had friends who it became clear to me were let go from mm-hmm. those civilian jobs. And, you know, some of them weren't willing to fess up, open up. Well, they they eliminated my position. Well, let me tell you something. Companies never eliminate your position if you're adding value, right? <laughs> so something happened there, right? And so, um, you know, it, I, I tried learning from others' experiences as well. Some people who were more successful than I was. I tried to understand how that happened. And, you know, some people were, weren't, didn't, weren't as fortunate as I was. And I tried to understand that too. And I try to incorporate all of those various factors into the lessons from the book. For example, you know, I tell folks in the book that if, when you transition, if you make location your number one priority, the one thing I can assure you is you're not going to be happy in anything, right? Mm-hmm. Your kids may be happy. Your spouse may be happy um, because they don't have to move. But from the career standpoint, you're not going to be happy because mm-hmm. there are there are three three variables when you take a position. It's going to be what kind of work, compensation, and location. And those three variables, location has to be the one you're willing to give up to give on, because you're never going to get all three the way you want it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you may be lucky to get two out of three, 
but you need to be, most of the people that I know who didn't succeed made location their most important factor and ended up, you know, in some cases losing their job because they didn't get the right job that takes them into the future. Um, and eventually that position was eliminated and, and, and they ended up with none of the three, right? Mm -hmm. The other factor is, and again, this is in the book, I, I would say this is the most important factor, is when you do transition, don't think about what job I want now, right? What job I, I want to get right out of it, out of the military. The question you need to ask yourself is where you want to be in 10 to 15 years in your life. And then try to figure out which job has the highest probability of getting you there. And it may mean compromising in that first job, trading off the first job for, for, for higher payoff in the future. But, you know, again, I see people who say, look, I've got this collection of positions from websites, from Indeed or from LinkedIn, and which one should I apply for? You're asking the wrong question. It's not which one for you, you should apply for. What do you want to be doing 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. Okay. If you don't know, figure it out before you ask which one you should apply to. If you don't care, then it doesn't matter which one you apply to, right? It doesn't matter. Um, so th that's really the most important question people have to be asking. Yeah, I, I know that we talked earlier about the title of your book and you said that to you, the subtitle is just as important as the actual title itself because the book is more of a practical guide. I think your website even describes it as a manual. So just so people can kind of know what to expect if they buy the book, mm -hmm. I guess, what do you, how do you define that in terms of a practical guide? I know we talked about some other books, they kind of are very flowery with what to do in a leadership position, but they don't really tell you how or um, mm. really any actionable steps to get there. So mm. um, what, what do you think it is about your book that makes it more of a practical guide? Well, I'll tell you to start preparing 18, mon 18 months before you're gonna transition, start thinking about these intangibles, where do I wanna be? kind of in life, you know, and I give you guidelines as to, look, if you want to get here, here's kind of like the timeline mm -hmm. for transitioning that will improve your chances of getting there. And it basically kind of gives you some sense of when you need to transition. I give guidance for officers. I give guidance on, should I stay in for to make general, right? What, what are the pros and cons of staying in the army, you know, and to try to go for general they're, they're you know, so I, I try to help people think through that calculus. Um, I talk about how to get your mind right, how to start preparing. I teach about what the engine of business is and what drives the company forward and what kind of, you know, investment strategic view a company will take, why they invest in people, why they invest in things and why they might want you and I tell people very mundane things like how to start preparing your resume, how to talk to your headhunters, um, how to find your headhunters. Um, you know what what the headhunters are, who who they're really working for. And by the way, it's not you. Um, and so you know that kind of thing. And then how to communicate with the company, how to how to get an offer, assuming you get the offer how to negotiate for your compensation, right? 
how to think about your first job once you get hired. You know, and, you know, I, I had the advantage, I guess it is, of of being recruited into different positions, which if you look at my resume, looks like I jumped around a lot. Mm-hmm. That's generally not a good thing to do. So I, I say in my book, don't do what I do, you know, <laughs> stay, stay, uh, you know, I did stay in my first job for five years. Um, but, you know, make sure that you don't hop around because you, companies will get the idea that your expression is coin operated, right? Whoever puts in the most coins mm-hmm. gets his allegiance. So, you know, talk about that. I talk about how to compensate for the things you're going to lose when you leave active duty. You're going to lose life insurance, SGLI. You're going to lose um, health insurance, p- potentially, or at least it's going to be, you know, you, you know, some people will lose it. Um, how to invest for the future, for your financial security, even things like that, you know, to make sure that one of the pieces of advice I give is, look, the expression for those who retire out of the military and get another job, the expression is you double your pay in a day, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be paid twice by your civilian company what you're being paid on active duty. It means if you add your retirement pay plus your civilian pay, you may be making 2x what you were making before. But the advice I give is even if you're making more money than you were on active duty, don't increase your lifestyle. Live the same lifestyle for five years. Put the extra money away for at least five years. And then, so I mean, so very practical advice um, from that standpoint, how to survive your first five years as a civilian, in essence. Practical and sounds very comprehensive. I'm sure it would benefit really most of our listeners. So when is the book going to be available to purchase? April 5th, 2022, just about a month from now. Yeah, coming um, up. It's so already timing. Yeah, it's available for pre-order on at, at every major outlet. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, all those things. And it should be in, in bookstores as well. Awesome. So, Bill, as you're looking back just on your career, what do you think is the most valuable lesson that you've learned about corporate America since leaving the military that you think would help our listeners? Yeah, so the thing that surprised me the most um, is that the civilians that were working for me in industry, I would say many of them were just as patriotic um, just as duty-minded as the best people I had in uniform, right? The best people I worked with in uniform. And I didn't expect that, right? I think I think I was deluded by the same nonsense that everybody in government thinks that everybody in industry is up for the buck, right? Mm-hmm. And I worked with many, many people who could have been making much more in the private sector, non-defense work industry world right and really earnestly wanted to help and for whatever reason they wanted to join the military but couldn't physically didn't qualify whatever and just decided the next best thing was to do something for the defense industry and so that was very heartening right very reassuring that and and i you know sadly some of my encounters with my friends on act, both on active duty and civil servants 
um, was eye-opening as well in a negative sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because here you were, a military person who just a few months or a few years before had sworn with your life to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You had, you know, volunteered to give your life if necessary for the country. And then because you've switched uniforms and now are wearing a suit instead of the military uniform, in their eyes, you are now a greedy profiteer trying mm -hmm. to screw the very same country you had sworn to defend just a few months earlier. And that was really heartbreaking, right? So on one hand, on the civilian side, I saw something that was heartwarming. And then in my encounters with my government friends, I had many encounters that were just simply heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And both of them are stereotypes mm -hmm. that, that needed to be dismantled. Right. And so I talk about both of those in the book as well. And, and I hope that the readers on both sides, I actually hope a bunch of government folks read the book as well, because I think they can learn from it too. But on both sides, I, I think it would be beneficial for folks to read. Yeah, definitely. So how can our listeners connect with you? Um, I don't know if you're doing any other podcasts in promotion of the book or if there's anything else that you would like them to look at in advance of the book coming out. Yeah, I, um, the website goes live um, tomorrow, williamtoti.com, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-T-O-T-I, Tango Oscar Tango India, Tango Oscar Tango India for you military folks.com. Mm -hmm. And my email is William at williamtody.com. And so I um, you know, hope to hear from folks. And yeah, absolutely, we're gonna do some more podcasts and um, try to get the word out there. Again, I'm doing this not to make money. I'm doing it altruistically. In fact, if I ever break even, I'll be happy. Um, you know, because I, I really do wanna help folks um, not repeat the same mistakes I've seen, you know, so many hundreds, if not thousands, of transitioning military folks make over my last 15 years in industry. And so that's what this is about. Yes, well, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing how the book does and maybe we'll have you back to talk about some of the more specifics of the book later on once it's out. Great, happy to. Take care, Mary. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond, so make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.